Luke chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. This is God's Word. And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Father, we pause in our morning as we have your word open before us. We submit to you our hearts. And we confess that often we bring to a Sunday morning many distractions. We are thinking about what has gone on in the past, or we are anxious about what might happen in the future, or we're struggling through something in our life right now. Father, I pray that for these next few minutes together we would be able to set those things aside, not because they are unimportant, not because they may not be real or have great impact, but so that we can learn from your word, so that we can hear from you, and then look on our troubles, look on our distractions with a different perspective, a perspective that keeps in mind you and who you are and what you have accomplished on our behalf and what you will do in our lives. So I ask that you would work in our hearts in these next few moments by your Spirit as your Word is open, as your Son and His words are proclaimed. We pray that you would work in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Like most of us, I don't uh, much enjoy suffering. I don't look on it with fondness. I don't remember times of suffering with, uh, with excitement. I don't anticipate them with, with excitement. And the question we have before us concerns 
suffering, or perhaps not suffering itself, but maybe the fear of suffering, or maybe just difficult times. And the question for us is, what should we do when we feel like we've been going through that for a long time? When we've been enduring a difficult situation, we've been enduring hardship, we've been undergoing suffering for a long time. What can we do when we have already been bringing our dearest request before God again and again for so long, and yet we haven't seen that request fulfilled yet? What are we to do? Well, that's what this parable that we are looking at today is meant to to illustrate for us. Jesus' words here telling a, a parable, this is a short parable, and of course a parable is a a saying or a story that's meant to illustrate a point, and Jesus used them widely. We find them in other places in Scripture as as well, but Jesus used them often, and sometimes it was merely to illustrate and make things clearer, and I think that's uh, kind of the example of what we have right here. So parables are a large part. Anytime you read through the Gospels, you're going to run across Jesus and His teaching and His parables And sometimes when you're looking at parables and you're working through them, you really have to think hard about what it means. You have to to kind of look at it from different angles and and try and figure out what this parable means. And you look at the context and all that, but this one is set out for us very clearly in verse 1 there. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So he leads with the thesis statement. He leads with the point, just in case we don't get it by reading Uh, the rest of the parable, or his hearers didn't get it by hearing the rest of the parable, but he tells us right off the bat what he wants us to do. He tells them this parable, encouraging them, exhorting them that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Why didn't he just say, pray and don't lose heart? It's a shorter message. It's got the two points. It's memorable. You can take it away. Why didn't he just do that? Well, when he tells a parable in this fashion, the story that he tells, it's a, it's a made-up story. This, this, this isn't probably a literal judge somewhere and a literal widow somewhere. That's not the point. He's making up a story that, he's, that, that illustrates a point. And this story, when we look at it, will stick with you longer even than a simple two-point outline would be. And so, uh, he tells this parable. And I think it'll stick with us today as we first look to the first section, first few verses there, we learn about the unrighteous judge. We're introduced right off the bat in verse 2, having been told in verse 1 what this parable is about, what we are to get out of it, what we're to to observe and learn from this. He tells us right off the bat in verse 2 who this is about, or at least the first character. Remember, he's making up a story. In a certain city, there was a judge So we're introduced to that first character, this judge, who neither feared God nor respected man. Okay, so we know the man's character right off the bat. We don't know what his life looks like per se. We don't know anything more about him, but we know the most important parts. We know that he was a judge, so that means he has authority. That means he gets to make decisions for other people that will impact them, that will influence their lives. He gets to to render verdicts. 
He gets to do things in people's life that are going to have impact for a long time, and, and, and judges have a lot of power. And particularly in this context, this judge has a lot of power. But what's he like? Well, he doesn't fear God. He has no uh, religious leaning and no religious uh, motivation. He neither fears God nor respects man. So he doesn't, doesn't really care about God somewhere or the gods. He's not motivated. He's not driven by, uh, by what God might want him to do, nor is he really driven by what would be good for you. He doesn't respect men either. He seems to be about his own business for his own reasons. Uh, he's not really looking out for the welfare of man. He's not really concerned about what God might want necessarily. What, what kind of judge would that be? Would that be a judge we would like to have? I, I don't think so. And so I've, I've characterized him as the unrighteous judge, and he's the first one that we meet, right? So woe to the person who lives in that town. Woe to the person who has to go to that court. So who lives in that town and who has to go to that court? We meet the second character in verse 3. There was a widow in that city. A widow is, of course, a, a woman who has, uh, whose husband has passed away and she's left to herself, and usually it brings with it uh, the idea of vulnerability, uh, maybe, maybe some financial vulnerability, and that's, that's the case here, particularly in this culture, that she's left without a protector, she's left without a provider, she doesn't have someone to take care of her at all. She doesn't have her own resources. Apparently, she's, she's, she's vulnerable. She's, uh, she's open to attack and to extortion and to threatening and to all kinds of things. And so, here she is, this poor woman, in this context where this man is the judge. This man gets to call the shots for her. So, there was a widow in that city, poor woman, who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So not only does she live in that town, but she's got some problem. She's got some adversary who's done something to her or is doing something to her or is threatening her perhaps. He is adversarial to her. He is her opponent, and he's threatening her in some way. We have no idea in what way. And in this story, it doesn't really matter. But the fact is she's being threatened. She's being taken advantage of. She's being somehow victimized in this situation by this man who is her adversary. And so, she's got a complaint, and now she's got cause to go talk to that judge who neither fears God nor respects man. And she does. You can see that she's got some courage. She goes to court. She, she, she approaches him, and she takes her situation to him, and she makes her complaint, and she says, give me justice against my adversary. So, she's willing to stand up. She, she's willing to go to court. I, I, you know, I don't go to court all that often. I, I try to avoid it, you know, <laughs> having to go to court myself. But, but even just going to court as an observer or to support someone else is a little bit intimidating. And here's this widow. Here's this woman who is vulnerable and whatever, but she's willing to do it. She's got this case she needs to make, so she goes to the, to the judge and she asks for justice against her adversary. And not only does she go, it says she keeps going. She has it on her schedule. You know, every Tuesday I'm going to bother this guy. Twice a week I'm going, to, I'm going to go to court or whatever. She goes there and goes again and again and again, and she brings her request again and again. This is important to her. 
And she's got the courage to be able to do it. She's, she's some kind of woman. She's very, very persistent that she would keep bothering this judge, even though he is such a man. He's such a judge, but she goes to him because she needs help, and so she does. So we've got two characters. You've got the judge, who's an unrighteous judge, and you've got this widow who is very persistent, very bold, very courageous, and very determined. And so she's bringing her request. And look at, look at verse 4. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, which, by the way, I, I, wish, I wish more of us were aware of our own heart that, <laughs> that clearly. And here's my motivation, right? This guy is giving his motivation. Of course, Jesus is telling this story, but the man's motivation has nothing to do with his religious convictions. It has nothing to do with him trying to be a good guy. It has nothing to do with him trying to even bless those around him. He says, though I neither fear God nor respect man yet... Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So first off, she brings her request to him. He couldn't care less. Stop bothering me with your petty squabbles. I've got important things. Probably important things are going to enrich me. <laughs> I've got other things that I need to be about, right? Your little case with your, with your little squabbles with whoever this is who's causing problems for you, I'm not really concerned. I'm not motivated to do that. And so this man initially refuses. He's not motivated by honoring God. He has no, he has no soft place in his heart for, for widows. The concept of walking a little old lady across the street doesn't matter to him. That's the kind of guy he is. He's not motivated by those things. He's not motivated motivated for her good or, or for religious purposes, but because she keeps bothering him. I love that translation. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, agitating me, she just gets under my skin because I know that every Tuesday afternoon she's going to be here. She just keeps coming and keeps bothering me, and that, that becomes a motivation where uh, he doesn't have any any uh, inclination of his heart to help her out. We, we have a cat. We have two dogs and a cat. And the dogs are pretty good. I don't usually have to do much with them. And the cat, I don't do much for either, except at 3 o'clock in the morning. For some reason, the cat suddenly likes me and comes to my door, where, by the way, my wife also sleeps, but the cat will meow, and it wakes me up. I think it's probably all the years of the kids having wakened her, <laughs> and I didn't wake up for that, but... But the cat will come to the door and the cat will meow. And just a quiet little thing, but I hear it. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'd rather be sleeping. I've been sleeping. And my first thought is, oh, no, it's the cat. My second thought is, I'll just ignore her. She'll go away. So I ignore the cat. And I try to go back to sleep. And right about the time I'm dozing off again, I'll hear that same little meow again. She is not going to let me go. Now, I, I like the cat. I'm, I'm a cat person, more of a dog person. I'm sorry if you're a dog person. I like cats, and I like this cat. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, I don't like the cat. I'm not motivated because I just want to spend time with this beautiful feline. I just want to go and, 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 and let her out. I'm not motivated by that. The only thing that motivates me is that she's going to keep pestering me. Now, if I thought my wife would wake up, 
I'd probably go back to sleep, be able to sleep through it, but my wife's not going to wake up. If I thought someone else in the house was going to help her out, then, uh, then I would do that. But she knows that I will wake up, so she bothers me, and she pesters me, and she comes to me, and I'm motivated to let out the cat at 3 o'clock in the morning. And this judge is exactly the same way. There is nothing in him that really cares about this woman. He just cares about getting her off his docket. That's all he cares about. He's motivated to give justice for her just so she will leave him alone. So that's the story. Right? Not much of a story. It's kind of interesting and, and whatnot. We learn about that unrighteous judge. But, but Jesus, of course, has a point to this story. It's not just so we can remember something interesting or, or have heard a funny tale or, uh, or, or something like that. He's making a point about God. He wants us to learn about God, the righteous judge. Look at verse 6. The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Pause and think about the words of that unrighteous judge that are a little bit like mine at 3 o'clock in the morning. Though I neither love this cat nor really care, yet because she will keep bothering me, I'm going to let her out. I neither fear God nor respect man, this, this judge says, but because she pesters me, I'm going to give her justice. And so he says, think about these words. Think about what the unrighteous judge says, and he continues in verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect? So he's making a contrast here. You see, he wants us to learn. He wants us to get a peek into this situation with this unrighteous judge and, and, and what the unrighteous judge does, what his thought process is like and what this circumstance is like. He wants that to be in our minds so that we can draw some conclusions, draw some contrasts and some comparisons with God Himself. Will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? First of all, Do we really want justice from God? Do we really want God to give us what is just? This, this isn't the point of the passage here, but the word is used so much that I think about, well, yes, I want God to give me justice when I'm in the right, when I'm the one who's been harmed, when I'm the one who's been offended, I want justice, right? But that's not usually the case. Usually the problem is my own sin. Usually the problem has something to do with my own shortcomings. If I, if I were really to ask for justice from God, what would that mean for me? That would mean a guilty verdict upon me because I've broken God's law. I've offended Him terribly in ways I can't even imagine, in ways that you can see, but you can't even see all the ways. So I don't really want justice from God, only only when I'm in the right or only when I'm the victim do I want God to, to give justice. But more on that in a moment. Yet we see here, will not God give justice to His elect? So what, what justice are they looking for? Well, in the context, it seems like the, the elect, it seems like Christians here are going through difficulty at the very least. Perhaps they're going through direct persecution. 
Maybe they're being targeted for some reason, or maybe, maybe they're just as a class um, have, been, have been marginalized because they are Christians. And so, as we heard about uh, in, in other countries, like, like Turkey, for example, where it's hard to get a, a good job if you're a Christian. Well, this might be something similar where these, these Christians are being wronged. They're being harmed. They're, they're being marginalized. They're, they're being victimized in some way. They're undergoing persecution, perhaps, suffering. Will God give them justice? Will God help them out? Will God stand up for their cause? Will God work against their adversary? Jesus says, will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. The answer is yes. The answer is He will give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night. Note God's character. We're contrasting two judges here, aren't we? We're looking at the unrighteous judge and we're looking at the righteous judge. The unrighteous judge was the one in the story who didn't care about God, didn't care about the woman, but only uh, gave her uh, help because she was pestering him. And contrast that judge with God. What is God like in contrast to that? Is God listening to our prayers and, and, and getting annoyed? Oh, they're asking the same thing again. He asked for that thing yesterday. He asked for that thing the day before. He's asked for that thing. Does God get annoyed with our prayers? Does He get bothered? No, He doesn't get annoyed. This, this judge got annoyed, but God does not get annoyed. God, is, God loves His children. He loves to hear from His children. And so He doesn't get annoyed like that judge does. And He's righteous where that judge is unrighteous. That, righteous, uh, that, that unrighteous judge who couldn't care less about the, the, the good of the people or, or pleasing God or anything like that, God Himself is righteous and He's merciful and He's gracious and He loves to show compassion. He's a very different judge. He's a, a very different character than that unrighteous judge. And He's got a very different relationship with the supplicant. Whereas, whereas the unrighteous judge, He looked on this widow... He, 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 you know, it seems like he thought of her as just, you know, a number in a particular column. Oh, there are so many widows in town, and she's one of them, and she's this widow that keeps bothering me. He doesn't, he's not concerned about her personally. What's the relationship between God, the righteous one, and these supplicants that are talked about here? They're his elect. They're his children. They're his very own. They're, they're named after him. He cares about them. They're not a number on a tally sheet. These who are bringing their requests night and day, they're, they're crying out to God. They're not some distant, uh, someone bringing a request, you know, one of a long list on a docket. He's talking about His very children. And so will not... God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night. They are His own children. 
So what's he going to do? Won't he give an answer? I, I use so many illustrations about my own children that I think they probably get tired of it. And, and, but I've got a lot of stories because I've got a lot of kids, and so I can, I can tell many stories. But when they, when they, to my daughters particularly, my sons, not as much, it's not the same. But when my daughters, they, they all know, they all know. So I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, sharing anything that's not clear to them already. They know if they really want it. If they will ask dad, they'll get it. I'm not, I'm not always a very good dad. <laughs> but they know that if they really want it because they are my children. And we know that when we think about our own children. And these who are bringing their request to God are in that relationship to him. They are crying to him day and night. And why are they crying to him? Because they know what he's like. Because they know that he's the one that will help them out. I think that's why our cat comes to me, because I will at least go and open the door and let the cat out. These who are bringing their requests, these who are crying out night and day, they know the character of God, and they have a special relationship with Him. Now, I know in your notes uh, I, I have called this second section the righteous judge, and of course God is righteous, and of course God is judge, but there's a, there's a change there. I would almost put, put quotes around judge on this second point. And why is that? Well, it's because the natural man, when we are born, we stand with God as our judge. In the flesh, born uh, as the natural man before we have come to Christ, we stand in a relationship to God where He tells us what to do and we must do it and He will judge us based upon that. The law stands before us, and that's why when we're sharing the gospel with someone, we go through the law and we, and we ask them questions like, you know, have you ever told a lie? Well, everybody's told a lie, right? Have you ever uh, stolen something? Well, everybody's stolen something of, of some kind in their life. Everyone has broken God's law, and what that means is the standard of God's law has been broken, and God as judge sits over the unbeliever, sits over the natural man. And the natural man will give an account. And if the account isn't perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience to the law, then the, the verdict will be guilty because the natural man stands before God in a relationship of judge to accused. But what about us? I said this is the natural man. I said this is those who have not yet come to Christ. Well, what God does... What God did in history is He sent His own Son to be born one of us. So the Son of God takes on flesh and stands in our place. And whereas none of us would ever and have never obeyed God's law perfectly, Jesus did, fulfilling all righteousness. And then having done that, He went to the place. So if God were to render a judgment upon Jesus, it would have been righteous and holy he would have been the only one to be not just innocent, but righteous before God's law. And so Jesus is the righteous one, and yet what He does is He goes to the cross, to the very place of judgment for my guilt. I'm the one who ought to stand before God with Him as my judge, with my guilty rap sheet right here, and I ought to bear the punishment for my sin. 
But Jesus said, I will step in that place. And I will take that rap sheet upon myself. And I will pay the penalty. I will stand in your place, Brennan, in the place of the guilty one before the judge. And I will bear his judgment myself. And so the full wrath of God, his full anger and, and, and hatred against sin, which was mine, was poured out on Christ. So the righteous one, who, who would have been uh, judged righteous in God's, in God's sight, the righteous one goes to the place of the guilty one, me, and bears the penalty for my sin in himself, bearing the full wrath of God for me, poured out upon him. He goes to that cross, bears God's wrath, dies, goes to the grave, and God raises him from the dead as an indication that God was pleased with that sacrifice, that all the sin that had been placed upon Jesus, that all the guilt that had been placed upon Him so that, so that Jesus would be the, the guiltiest person in all of history, the worst sinner that ever could have been because my sin and your sin placed upon Him and punished fully. And at the end, God raises Him from the dead saying, He's been set free from that. The penalty has been paid. I accept that payment. And so Jesus is raised from the dead. And the Bible says that if I will look to Christ, if I will if I will turn away from trusting in myself, trusting in anything else, whatever I might be pursuing, if I would trust in Christ and what He's done instead, realizing my own guilt, realizing that if I were to stand before God with Him as my judge, I would hear the gavel and it would be the end for me. Guilty would be the verdict. But when Christ bore in Himself that guilty verdict on my behalf, that that punishment, that penalty is paid in Him. And the Bible says, if I will look to Him and trust in Him, then I will have His righteousness credited to me. I will find all of my sin in its, in its ugliness and its filth and its guilt placed upon Him and punished. And I will have right standing before God. And whereas God had been judge, He's still judge, but now He is my Father. And only in that way can He be my Father by faith in Christ. So when we look back to our parable here, we look at Jesus' words. That little word uh, elect there is talking about God's own children. Will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Of course He will. We are not just supplicant before judge. We are not just someone bringing a case and asking God maybe to consider perhaps we are His very own child coming into His presence like my daughter coming to me. Will He delay long over them? Is He going to deliberate and say, well, I don't know. You know, there's this side of the case and maybe I could, but then the other guy says this. It's another rhetorical question. He will not delay over them. He will rule on behalf of, in favor of, His child. And He says in verse 8, I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Speedily. Now, if you think in terms of history, you know, Jason lives in Turkey. 
And he was telling us about the size of the church in Turkey, and it's minuscule. Well, when you're reading through the New Testament, you read about the size of the church in Turkey. It was growing, and it was abounding, and there were places where Paul said, There's, the, the church has grown so much there, so much ministry been done, I don't even have room for ministry there. I'm going to go somewhere else where there's, where there's opportunity for ministry. That kind of rich environment, yet when it's persecuted so strongly for so long, for centuries, so that now we could hear that there may be 10,000 Protestant Christians in a country of 80 million. Well, are Jesus' words really true here? How are we to understand them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Well, you know, if you go on a road trip and you take anyone under 16 with you, the first question that's going to be asked almost before you're out of your driveway, are we there yet? And you're saying, yeah, we'll get there in no time. Well, you know, you may be driving across the country, and in your mind, a nice three-day drive is, is a very pleasant thing, but in the mind of the child, it's long, and it's hard, and you don't want to do it, and you're just staring out the window, right? We're a little bit like those children sometimes, where we, we want things quickly. Our life is, is very short, and so we think in terms of, okay, well, I'm about, you know, maybe I'm, I'm about halfway through my life, maybe, and I'm still waiting, and so uh, how is God behaving, uh, moving, uh, answering speedily? Well, it doesn't mean like this. It means in His due time. Perhaps it means in light of all eternity. In light of all eternity, when you back all the way up and you, and you look at your life, and perhaps you've struggled with something and suffered with something for 70 years. I, I can't imagine that. And some of you know what that's like. I, I can't imagine that, but, but perhaps you've suffered under that for 70 years. In the light of eternity, if God waits until after you're dead to give justice in that situation, in light of eternity, that was speedy. That was quick. That was no big deal. Or perhaps when you think broadly in light of all of history, in terms of a thousand years or two thousand years or five thousand years. Seventy year struggle seems speedy. But I think Jesus' words here are probably meant to encourage us that, you know, we can't we can't clock how fast the answer is going to come. That speedy means, you know, two days or two years or certainly less than two decades. But the point is that we can anticipate it because God will give it. And God will give it in due time and at the right time. Not like this unrighteous judge who deliberated and he just, you know, plugged his ears to the woman. He didn't want to hear her anymore, but finally, she finally got through to him. God listens and God hears, and he gives an answer in good time. It's just that sometimes you and I are the child in the back seat on the road trip, wondering, are we there yet? Jesus finishes, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? God is looking. God is working. God is developing in us the kind of faith that waits on God, though the road gets long. Where we continue to trust in Him, we continue to call out to Him. We continue to pray, 
though the waiting gets long. That's what Jesus means here, I believe, when He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? He's, he, 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 he wants and He is desirous and He is developing and He is growing a people who don't just think in the terms of the next day, the next week, but those who look to God and in light of who God is and what God is accomplishing can look at the time frame of their life and have patience. It can wait. Because God is at work. God who is righteous. God who is glorifying Himself and accomplishing good in my life. God has determined the time frame of when He will answer. So I can trust Him. And the road gets long, I remind myself of who God is. And I continue to call out to Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a little autobiographical sketch by Paul. He had seen this vision. It was a wonderful vision. It was such a wonderful vision that in order to keep him humble, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. What exactly that was, we could speculate about. I don't know, but it was a problem. It was a thorn in his flesh. It was bothersome to him. It was bothersome enough to the apostle Paul, Paul who had great patience, Paul who had endured much, it was bothersome enough to him that he would cry out to God with all that he was worth, asking for God to take it away once, twice, and three times, that he would be motivated to cry out to God, take this thing away from me. I've suffered a lot, Lord. I can suffer a lot of things. I don't want to suffer this. Please take it away. That he could be brought to that point of crisis three different times, and the Lord said, no. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, because in your weakness, my power is shown. When you are weak, then you are strong. Was it good for Paul that the thorn was not taken away? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And Paul, Paul got to hear from Jesus on that topic. Paul got to hear the declaration, here's why you are, uh, still have this thorn in the flesh. We don't, we don't get to hear that. We don't hear a voice from God telling us why we're going through the suffering. But it is the same God. It is the same righteous one. And so, we can be patient. And we can continue and trust and pray, though the waiting gets long. Let's wrap things up. Your last point there. The takeaways. What are the takeaways? Well, first of all, keep praying. Remember what the point of the parable was? He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. So, folks, let's pray. Don't give up if your prayer isn't answered as soon as you would like. I can pray pretty fast, and I expect God to answer on that same timetable sometimes. But let's continue to pray. Let's continue to trust Him even if the answer doesn't come in the time that we would like. This widow had no recourse with her opponent but to keep bringing the matter before the judge. And he was an unrighteous judge. And he didn't care about her. He didn't care about her situation. And he didn't even care about doing good to his fellow man. He didn't care about God himself. That was her only recourse was to bring the matter to him. And so she does again and again and again. 
Folks, the one we're bringing our request to loves us. Not only does He have the power to render a verdict and to, and to bring about justice in our situation, to give relief, to, to answer that thing, but, but he's, he's motivated to do so because of who He is and how we are related to Him, because we're His children in Christ. So let's bring our requests to Him. Let's be as motivated uh, and, and more as this widow woman was motivated to go to this unrighteous judge. Keep praying. Secondly, keep trusting. Don't lose heart. Can you imagine being this widow? If she didn't already know what this judge was like, she pretty soon learned what the judge was like, what he valued, uh, why, why he was motivated, um, did he, did he, what, what kind of man he was. She pretty quickly learned, and yet what did she keep doing? Even though he was such a man, and it must have seemed hopeless, yet she kept going and she kept going, and she kept going. She did not lose heart. When we bring our requests to God, we're bringing them before our Father who loved us and sent His own Son for us. Paul says in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? He's already given the most valuable, the most expensive thing that He could give, the life of His own Son for us. Is He going to turn stingy now? Now that He's accomplished so much for our good, will, will He stop working for our good in the, in the day-to-day affairs of life? No. Our God, the one to whom we are bringing our petitions, not only has the power to answer our prayers, not only knows what is the best and wisest answer to our prayers, but He is good, and He is our Father. He absolutely could not be more invested in our good because He loves us and He's committed Himself to doing so. So don't lose heart. Keep trusting. There's a third, a third takeaway here. This doesn't come directly from the text, but I think it's, it's closely attached to it, and that is keep the faith. Come to church and be reminded of just who God is and the blessings that you have in Him. Martin Luther said, I preach the gospel every week because my people forget the gospel every week. And I'm just the same, and so are you. Keep your nose in the Bible as a daily, intimate, personal reminder of what God has done on your behalf, what you have in Christ. Go to Him in prayer often persistently like this widow, bringing your request to the one who has the power and the position and the motivation to meet your needs in the way that he knows is best. So what should you do when you feel like you've been suffering for a long time? You think it's been long enough already. I've gone through this long enough. Surely, Lord, now is enough time. Jesus would have us continue to bring our situation and our hearts before God himself. He would have us entrust it to Him as our sovereign and good God and Father. He would have us continue to trust that He is the good and righteous One who has made us His children and is a Father to us and cares and knows what we need, what is best for us, and He will accomplish those exact things 
on our behalf. So let's keep praying. Let's not lose heart. And let's keep the faith. Let's pray. Father, we uh, realize that there are uh, as many different uh, circumstances that perhaps are hard, painful, uh, have gotten long, where suffering is taking place, where uh, perhaps even some form of persecution or hardship for the faith has taken place or, or relational difficulty or any number of things, any number of situations that weigh on us and that we've been praying about, that we're tempted to give up on, and perhaps we've already long ago given up praying about these or expecting you to work in these situations or even asking you to do so. Father, I pray that you would take this, the words of Jesus, the parable of Jesus about this persistent widow, that we would be encouraged to renew our request to you, the one who is so far from this unrighteous judge, the one who is righteous and good and loves us, the one who has made us his own children and will respond accordingly, the one who knows what is right, the one who knows what is the right time, the one who has invested in us enough that he gave his own son. May we renew our cries to you that they would be indeed day and night crying out to you and that you would answer speedily. Father, we need your answers. We are dependent. Father, we are a little bit like that widow. Her only recourse was to go to that judge. And our only recourse, our greatest joy, is to bring our difficulties right to you, our Father who loves us. So bless us, we pray. May we take this story with us. May we take this parable and the, the message of it throughout the week. May we be encouraged by it, encouraged to continue in prayer, and encouraged to redouble our efforts in prayer, to lay our needs before you, to lay our, our pains before you, our hurts, to lay our doubts and our questionings, to lay our problems to lay ourselves before you and cast ourselves upon your mercy. We trust you. So, Father, I pray that you would bless us and encourage us even this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's going to be a family up front who would love to pray with you. If you have a request or a praise or anything like that you want to bring to them, and I will be up front as well if you have questions for me, uh, comments for me, I would love to, to chat with you then. Otherwise, God bless you all, and you are dismissed.